Hello, welcome, great to have you here. The, uh, the title of the message I'm gonna be speaking today is uh, Signs and Wonders, which is very apt because England are in the semi-final of the World Cup, <laughs> which is a wonder and a sign. The last time this happened, I was nine years old, and I still remember it vividly, the disappointment of when Chris Waddle blasted the penalty over the bar and England were out. But it's not gonna happen this time. I've been praying. <laughs> I'm assured that we are, I'm not gonna say anything else. But it's important to note that as Leo was just saying, next Sunday, two important things are happening. First of all, we're meeting in the afternoon, not the morning as normal. And also you'll be aware that next Sunday is the World Cup final at five o'clock in the afternoon. We will finish in time. So you can come to church and uh, worship God and then don't worship after that, but there will be a football afterwards. Not here, but you can go home and watch the game. And also the good news is, is that I'm not speaking next week because if England are in the final, then my message may be somewhat biased, but we have a Canadian, Rich Crosby, who's here, who's preaching. So for Canadians, I don't know what football means to them. You know, I talk to my American friends, football is a thing that they pick up and throw which is, that's, uh, that's rugby or handball or something. So I think for Canadians, football is what you do when you're on the ice with a puck, but with no stick. That's football or something, I don't know. But anyway, Rich will do us a wonderful job next Sunday. And we today are in the book of Acts. So if you want to find Acts chapter 2, and um, hopefully this, we've had some technical difficulties, as you can see, but if we can make the screen work then the words will appear as if by magic behind me. If the magic doesn't happen, I'm just gonna read. If the magic doesn't happen, then don't worry about it, because there is no magic. It's just a computer at the back. Here we go. Acts 2, I'm gonna read from the end of Acts 2, verse 42, all the way through to 47, and then we're gonna focus on half of one verse. This morning we focused on the first half last week, and we'll be in the second half this week, says Acts 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful window, this picture of what the early church was like after the day of Pentecost, Jesus, where this new age, this new kingdom was established through the pouring out of your Holy Spirit. You sent your church into the world to go about your mission, and we get this picture of what it was like for them, about what they did, about how they practiced their faith, about how they worshiped you, and what you were doing amongst them. And we want these words for us not just to be a, a kind of a distant echo, something we look back upon with kind of fondness 
like an old kind of family reunion that happened years ago. We want to look, look on it and say, God, we, we want our church to look like that. Now, last week for you. Uh, but we thank you what's true of this very first church is true of us, is we rely on the same power. We rely on you, God. We rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us and help us and lead us and empower us for your mission and for your purposes. So we pray you be at work opening our hearts and eyes to you this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen. In, uh, in, in Russia, I'm not going to talk any more about the World Cup, but in Russia in 1787, so long before the World Cup, uh, Catherine the Great, who was the empress of Russia at the time, they'd had a, a war against the Ottoman Empire. Ottoman empires were the Turks, and they defeated the Turks, and the, the, the Russians had taken hold of a part of what was the Ukraine, and the Russians have repeated the trick again, uh, Crimea, this small kind of dot, kind of sandwich between the Ukraine and, and Russia. And Catherine the Great in 1787, she was taken on a tour of the new lands that they conquered by a guy called, I'm not going to pronounce his name right, but the governor of the new area, Grigory Potomkin. So he, he, he took them on a barge on this boat down the river. And he wanted to show off these new lands that they'd conquered. So what he did was he sent a party ahead in advance to build a, a fake village. So they built this fake village and had all these, uh, they were government officials, but they're all dressed up in peasants' clothes. And they're all celebrating and waving at Catherine the Great, the Empress of Russia, as she sailed past on a boat. And then at night time, they packed up this village and then they went upstream ahead of the barge and they set up another village. Same people again. So when the boat the next day came along, there they were waving again. And then the next day they did the same thing and they kept doing this. They kept setting up this one village, kept going upstream. So Catherine the Great thought, wow, all my loyal subjects already welcoming me into these new lands. And it was this deception that took, that took place. And you can, you can read a verse like uh, verse 43, which we're gonna be looking at this morning where it says, and awe came upon every soul, which is the bit we looked at last week, and then this week we're looking at where it says, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And you could probably, uh, you could think maybe a little bit like you would if you'd been deceived by this Grigori, uh, Potomkin, this governor, you could feel like this idea of any sort of signs and wonders or miracles is just proof that as Christians, we're all deluded. That this is just some trick, some forgery to try and uh, trick people into believing in Jesus. Or you might sit in another camp and you think, well, maybe there was one village once, but not, not anymore. I don't want to believe in that anymore. That's for the past. Those things are dead. We don't believe in that sort of thing today. Or you might think, finally, we're talking about this. You might be the person that's on this boat and you just want to jump in the river and swim <laughs> and enjoy it. You're like, finally, we're talking about miracles. This is what the church should be talking about all the time. And, and this verse often is, is misunderstood or uh, interpreted in different ways would perhaps be a better way to say it. Some people would say this is, this is proof that any idea of miracles is 
the church should be pressing into these things because this is what the early church did. This is what the first believers did. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. And it's important for us to first of all understand what does Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, what does he mean by this phrase, signs and wonders, which is a phrase that's used often in the Bible. Sometimes it will be signs and wonders and mighty works. Is other ways it's often, it's often talked about. And it's, it's a biblical phrase which is talking about the power of God at work. It talks about in the Psalms about God being a God of wonders, a God who moves miraculously, a God who's bigger than us. Our own ideas of how things should be, of how things work and shouldn't work, that God is above these things. He's a God of, a God of power. And Luke, in this book, in the book of Acts, and in the gospel that he wrote, the gospel of Luke, frequently tells stories of, of healings, of mighty works of God taking place. So when he says here, signs and wonders were being d- done through the apostles, it talks about in Acts chapter 5, where the apostle Peter is, is about uh, in, in the city of Jerusalem. And it said he would, he would walk past people and they would gather to be around him just so perhaps his shadow might fall on them so they might get healed. In Acts 19, it talks about the apostle Paul, where it says people were bringing to him bits of cloth handkerchiefs that Paul could could touch them and then they would take them back to the sick people and they would get healed. Remarkable stories of God's God's power at work. And not just in Luke, but all through the Bible, there are stories of of dead people being raised, of people being healed. We were looking last year as a church, we were walking through the book of Exodus, which has many miraculous signs and wonders, these plagues being sent on the Egyptians of God parting the Red Sea so that the people of God could go through through the Bible. You find all these amazing stories that leave us in, in awe. So miracles and sunders, uh, signs and wonders, it's talking about miracles, acts of faith, remarkable things basically that happen that are beyond our control. Things that you think only God could have done that. Only he was able to do that. I think it's important for us to say that this isn't, it doesn't mean that miracles is when God shows up or that suddenly God has arrived. The best way to talk about it would be to say it's just, it's just a less common way of God working because God's at work all the time in our lives. God's at work all the time around us. We believe in a sovereign God who's, that means he's in charge of all things. Every breath that we breathe in is ordained, sent by God to you. Every meal you have is God's provision for you. God's at work all the time in our lives, and 95% of what God does, we're not even aware of. So we mustn't just think, oh, miracles, that's when God's around. You know, churches that have miracles take place, they're the real churches, because God's there. No, God's with us. God's with us. These are just less common ways, more unusual ways of God being at work. But I guess some of you here might be still struggling. You might be still thinking, well, come on, really? Did did this really happen? All these stories in the Bible, you really believe this? Because we live in a very skeptical age where we're just 
stories like this just kind of wash off us. They just, we think, why would we want to believe that? Particularly in a city like Amsterdam, such a rational city where we believe things that we can see and touch things that we can rationally understand. There's a phrase, I'm sure you've heard it, which says that, that God created the world, but the Dutch created the Netherlands, right? How because our, our, you know, we live in a country that's, it's my house in Vatakrasmir is four meters below sea level. Okay, that's not normal in most places in the world. But for the Dutch, it's like, well, that's just what, that's just what happens. We've defeated the water. You know, we shouldn't be here. This should just be a big swamp. But yet we're here because we made this nation. And there can be a bit of a pride in our heart that we think, well, we don't need God. You know, we, we just, we fix things. We make things. We do things. We don't need wonders and signs because we do this all ourselves. Who needs God? And we might look back on this book and think, well, these are just, this happened 2,000 years ago. These were just clueless people. They weren't enlightened. They weren't educated. Someone just sold them a myth. The same as Catherine the Great was sold this myth and they just lapped it up because they didn't know any better. And we need to be careful that we don't approach it with that kind of 21st century bias. It's easy to think like that. Well, now, now we're enlightened. Everything that happened before this moment in history was null and void because they were just simpletons who didn't understand. We live in this progressive age. We're enlightened now. We know things that they didn't know. But yet, even, even you find in, in, in Matthew 28, when Jesus, after his resurrection, comes to his disciples, and even then, some of them doubted. This is the founders of the early church. This is the guys that the book of Acts is written about. The guys who went and established the church that's now gone all over the world. It says some of them doubted. They weren't just lapping it up, saying, oh, well, so-and-so said. So they, they doubted the same way that we would doubt. So the fact that he didn't write it just to kind of delude us. This is a, many historians would see this as an accurate eyewitness account of what happened. Through his gospel, the Gospel of Luke, in the book of Acts, he references historical events that we know took place. There's evidence that this happened. This isn't just a hoax. This isn't just some trickery, some forgery. We can't just dismiss this and wash this away because we don't believe in these sort of things anymore. We need to, we need to look at these things and, and, and test them and think, well, goodness, what, what's going on here? What's this really all about? And I guess... The question that perhaps most of you are probably struggling with or thinking through is, well, if signs and wonders and miracles took place in the Bible, you know, do they take place today? And if so, and even in, in the times of the Bible when this was written, who, who are they for? Who are they for? Because it says here in this verse, signs and wonders were being done through the apostles, didn't save everybody. And earlier in the verse it says, and awe came upon every soul, but signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. So people would argue this to kind of, uh, uh, kind of limit this work here. And there are basically, I'm gonna introduce two slightly big words to you that I'm not saying this, I'm not trying to demean you, I'm just saying you might not have heard of them before. So people would talk about cessationists so they believe that the gifts of the Spirit 
as in described in Romans and Corinthians, uh, particularly the miraculous gifts of gifts of healing, gifts of faith, prophecy, tongues. If you're a cessationist, you believe those things have ceased, ceased cessationists. They've stopped, they've ended. Or people would talk about someone being a, a, either a, a charismatic or perhaps a continuationist that you believe, no, these things still happen today. They have continued, hence continuationist. But the reality is that really, if we understand the Bible properly, we have to be both those things. If you understand the Bible correctly, you have to be both a cessationist and a continuationist. In the, it says in, in 1 Corinthians, um, hopefully the verse will come up on the screen. This verse here, love never ends as for prophecies they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. One day, we won't need prophecy to tell us about God, because you'll be in heaven with God. You won't need healing to come and fix your broken body, because it says in the Bible that there is no sickness in heaven. There's a, there's a time when these things cease because they're not of any use anymore. So in one sense, we're all cessationists because one day we believe there is a moment in history when these things will cease, when we're with him, when the perfect has come, as it says here, when we're with God in heaven forever. But at the same time, whether you like it or not, you're a continuationist because the gifts of the Spirit um, it, it talks about in, in Corinthians the gift of teaching, which is what I'm doing now. And we all believe that that still functions today. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here or you wouldn't be listening to me, which maybe some of you aren't listening to me, but there you go. But you work through, there's a, there's a whole kind of list in Romans and Corinthians of very practical things, gifts of administration, gifts of serving, gifts of hospitality. And we believe those things function today. So on one hand, we should be charismatic, we believe that the gifts of the Spirit continued. On the other hand, we believe that one day they will cease, that there will be an end, a moment where these things stop being of use to us. But yet, it still says, this verse still confronts us with this phrase, through the apostles. Now, what does that mean? Why does it particularly limit it to apostles? Because it repeats the same thing in, in Acts 5 as well. Again, it says, through the apostles. Well, the apostles, these were Jesus' disciples who had been with Jesus, been trained by Jesus, coached by him, and they play a, a unique, unrepeatable role. That's unrepeatable. Laid the foundation for the church today. Some of the rote bits of the Bible, that's unrepeatable. None of you get to write new bits of the Bible. If you try, then we need to have a conversation about that because you shouldn't. But it's a unique role that these guys get to play that no one else in church history gets to have that, that perspective. These were Jesus' core disciples. And, and what apostle means, it means that someone who's been sent, someone sent as a messenger. That's what apostle means, someone who's been sent. And they were Jesus' first sent ones that he gave the great commission to in Matthew 28, Mark 16. Send them into the world on his mission. But yet, we've also been sent. You might not be an apostle, but you've been sent with an apostolic mission. You've been sent to take his message, who Jesus is, what he's like, 
take his grace and mercy and take it to the world that we live in. We've all been commissioned with that heartbeat within us to take this message. message. They were the, the kind of the chief first ambassadors of Jesus. But as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, now we're all to be ambassadors. We're all sent into the world on his mission. So the fact that it says here these were done only through the apostles, that's because they were laying a foundation for the church. They were establishing something for us to then build upon. It wasn't an exclusive thing that was limited. It was something in that moment that they were, they were leading the way for the rest of the church to step into. And you see, as you go through the book of Acts, you'll see characters like Philip and Stephen, who weren't apostles, but had remarkable ministries of healing. Read about in, in Acts chapter 8, I think it is, for Philip, where, where God uses him mightily to see people get healed. And he wasn't one of the 12. He wasn't an apostle. And there's all through the Bible, you read stories of people who aren't listed in this list of apostles. Even Jesus trained up and sent 72 people out and told them to, to pray for the sick, to cast out demons, to do things that we think, hold on a second, you did what? But it wasn't limited to a special few. He sent them out into the world on his, on his mission. And you see, the thing is, in most parts of the world today, in most parts of Christianity today, these two words, cessationist and continuationist or whatever, they would say, what are you talking about? They said, what, what do you mean? They would never even heard of them. Because they would say, well, this is, surely this is just normal Christianity. And again, as I said earlier, we can have this 21st century bias that affects how we view history, but we can have a very, a very Western bias where we think, oh, well, that's, that just happens in churches in Africa. Therefore, it's not really, you know, it's not really relevant to us. If that happens in China, that's just the Chinese. You know, we've got a better understanding. And we need to, we need to check ourselves that there's not some arrogance there, some pride there. We, we've got as much to learn from believers in other parts of the world as they have from us. We can't just dismiss them because it's just a different culture, a different, different, different group of people, different setting. We can't do that. Because if, if we did that, then how do we treat the Bible, which was written not just in a different time, but a very different cultural setting, written to believers in the Middle East 2,000 years ago? If we start dismissing the experiences of other Christians just because they're not in our part of the world, because we hold some sort of cultural bias, then how are we reading the Bible? Are we taking that same bias to God's word? We have to be careful with these things. And the next question you can ask, well, who are they for? But I guess another question would be, well, what are they? What are they for? If these things are for us today, what should we do with them? And for most people, this is the reason that perhaps you are a cessationist, or at least a kind of a functional cessationist. <laughs> Probably true of many of us. We don't have any problem theologically with what I've been saying, but there's no, this isn't practiced in your life. Um, and there's a reason that we don't do that is because we hear so many stories of things that are just 
that are just plain wacky, right? Let's just be honest about it. Someone sent me a, a picture this week of someone hosting a conference, and the, the, the poster for this conference, it was happening in Ireland, and it was a picture of a leprechaun smoking a pipe, and it was a conference about coming to encounter God, and I thought, I don't, I don't want to go to a What's a leprechaun smoking a pipe? <laughs> Got to do anything. But things like that can scare us and think, what are these guys about? And there is some practice of, of what we're talking about here that's, that's just unscriptural, that's just people taking things off on all sorts of tangents. So it's important we understand really what are these things for? Healing, miracles, signs and wonders, what are they, what are they for? First of all, they're, they're, for, they're for mission. As we said, it was these apostles, these sent ones, sent into the world to take the message of Jesus to people, and they were sent with these gifts, the, what's called the charismata, the grace gifts of God, sent these things to, to serve God's mission in the world. So when, when you start detaching these things, whether it's prophecy, the gift of tongues, signs and wonders, when you start detaching them from mission and you put them in a box in a room and you hide them away and say, well, they're just for us to have these kind of special experiences or special encounters, you're kind of, you're robbing them of, of what they're designed for, of what God sent them for, to go into the world around us. If you read the book of Acts, the story of what's going on is again and again that they're building the church they're on mission, seeing people added to the church, seeing people saved, seeing people's lives transformed. The only moment you find them locked away in a room is before the day of Pentecost. After that moment, they're sent into the world to plant new churches, to start new expressions of Christianity, to reach a broken world. And with these gifts as their, their weapons, their armory, and these, what happens is these signs and wonders, what they come and do is they... In effect, they, they kind of authenticate the message. They say, this is real. What these people are talking about, this is true. This is true. That's what happens when someone gets healed. It's not so that we can go, wow, what a miracle. But so we look at it and go, wow, God's alive. Jesus is real. He's at work today. He's risen. He's not in a grave. He's alive today. He's ruling over his church and he's at work to change people's lives. When we see things like this happen, it should fill us with, with a sense of, yes, Jesus is here. He's at work powerfully, mightily. It comes to further the gospel, to authenticate the message. And more than anything else, they, they magnify Jesus. A guy called David Pryor, who wrote a commentary on 1 Corinthians, he said, the burning desire of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's glorify Jesus, is magnify Jesus. That's what he does in your heart. He makes Jesus come alive to you in your heart. He opens your eyes to him. Because we have to be careful that we can, we can get into this kind of dualistic mode, this kind of idea where we see the Holy Spirit at work as, as something separate. That's, that's often where you get some of the more wacky edges appear because they're treating the Holy Spirit as this kind of special force somehow outside of God or somehow separate from Jesus. And yet that's just not, 
it's not how the Trinity works. It's not how God works. Right at the start of the book of Acts in verse 1, Luke writes this. The first account I, I composed, Theophilus, who's, that's the guy he wrote the book of Luke to and the book of Acts to. The first account is the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. He says that was about all that Jesus began to do and teach. You see what he's saying there? The book, the book of Luke is about what Jesus began to do. The book of Acts is what about Jesus continued to do. Even though we see in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends to heaven to be with his Father. In Acts chapter 2, he sends the Holy Spirit. That's not a separate thing. That's Jesus coming upon all of us. It's called the, the Acts of the Apostles. You could also call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The best way to describe it would be the Acts of Jesus at work, through his people, the church, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just a bit of a long title for the book, but that'd be the best way to describe it. And he sends these, these charismata, these grace gifts, they're gifts of grace from God to show us more of God. They're to us from him to help us see more of him. They're gifts of grace not for any kind of special, super qualified believers. They're just given as grace gifts to his church, to us, his people. And they're, they're signs that, that Jesus has come. We were talking about last week in, in uh, the day of Pentecost, how this, this new kingdom is established through the sending of the Holy Spirit upon his church, upon his people. And these miracles and signs and wonders, they're signs that a new king has come, that a new kingdom has been established. There's a new ruler on the throne now. And there's signs now that we live on this side of the cross. But they also give us, I guess, like a foretaste of the sign of the age to come. Because one of the main problems is, is that you get this, this tension about people want to, want to pull down blessings which are really reserved for us in heaven and bring them into the now. So people say, well, you don't, everybody should get healed. All of us should be prosperous and have money. All of us should live a good, successful life because these are all the promises of the Bible, and they're pulling down promises of the age to come and bringing them into the now, but at the same time, we've got, we are where we are in a new time now because Jesus has come. This is the, the age of his church, of his people, of his kingdom, and he's at work. And when we, see, when we see these signs and wonders take place, many of us, we struggle to understand them Maybe you're still struggling with what I'm saying. Because the idea of miracles seems like a kind of a suspension of the natural order. That there are law, there's, there's the natural laws, there's the way that the world works. And then any miracles are like an interruption, like a suspension of that, as though God has to somehow stop nature to make this happen. That's how we can view miracles, right? It's God just kind of putting the, the rules that he makes the world work by, putting them on pause so he can come and do this miracle over here. And that's not what they are. It's not what they are. What, it, what it's meant to be, what Jesus meant them to be, was a restoration of his natural order. It's Jesus saying to us, this is what one day the world will be like. 
So when someone's healed, it's, it's a sign, it's a foretaste of an age to come, which says one day all of us will be healed. And it, and it comes now as, as this, this glimpse, this promise of the future of Jesus saying, one day I will restore all things. But now he is little by little restoring a broken world, putting things back together again. And some of us will know where, where miracles even have happened in our own life and at the same time struggle with why don't they happen more often? Why am I still sick? Why am I carrying this illness? Why have I got this issue in my life that I just can't seem to get past? Why doesn't God just come and fix it? One day he will. One day he will. It might be you have to wait until you're in heaven for that to happen. But when they, those things do happen, they're little promises, foretastes, signs of this new age to come. It's this, we were looking at that verse earlier of the perfect that's what it is. It's hints of a perfect world. And I guess you might, the, probably the main question you're thinking is, well, what, what do we do now, right? And I guess th- what I really wanted to give you this morning was, this isn't really a very thorough look into all the issues that surround this. This is a big subject. Some of you are going to have lots of questions. I'd love to talk with you more. Um, we just don't have time to get into all the issues today. But what I wanted to give you this morning is, is an invitation for, for us as a church, as a community, to say, well, let's, let's explore this. Not explore all sorts of wackiness and crazy ideas, but let's, God sent us here to this city on his mission. That's why you're here, whether you like it or not. You think, well, I just came here to study I just came here for, I just ended up here. No, God's led you here for a reason. He's brought you here for his purpose, to see his church established. And God's given us these gifts to use, so let's, as a community, let's explore what that means to us. Pray for the sick. See what happens. Some people aren't going to get healed, but some people will get healed. Because Jesus loves our city. He wants to break into this city. Because it, it says in, in Mark 16, this won't appear on the screen, but it says, this is his great commission. He says, and go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That's the mandate he's given us. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. It says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Now that's a confusing verse, which we should talk about more. And part of it is he's talking about what's gonna happen in the book of Acts. Jesus has given us a hint of even talking about the, what's gonna happen through the apostle Paul. But at the same time, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that these things cease. It doesn't. It doesn't say that healing stops. It doesn't, just doesn't say that anywhere until, as I said earlier, the perfect has come. That's the moment. And until then, I want to take Jesus' commission seriously. I want to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel and see signs accompany that. 
This is, this is how the Apostle Paul described his kind of job description in 1 Corinthians 2. I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Some people will argue that verse to say, we don't need words and teaching and wisdom. We just need the power. He's not saying that. He's saying we need Jesus and him crucified. And both the word and the spirit magnify that. They say, Jesus is risen. He's alive. So I want us as a church to say, well, let's, I want to pray for the sick. I want to preach the gospel, but I want to see Jesus' kingdom break out in our city, in people's lives. I don't know what that looks like. And we're not really supposed to know what that looks like. But four years ago when we started this church, I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't think we'd end up in this building here. It's not because of anything I've done. But it's because of the power of God at work, right? It's the power of God at work in his city. Because all around our city, it says that God is dead, that this is a secular city, that Christianity is done, it's old, it's past, it's this silly relic from a bygone age. And Jesus said, no, it's not. He's alive today. He's at work in this city. This is evidence of that, that this building where the congregation moved out 40 years ago, there are worshippers here now every Sunday. And that's happening across this city. Jesus is not finished with this city yet. And he's using his church to go into this city with the word of God, preaching the gospel, but with the power of the spirit with us. Okay, let me pray before I keep on talking too long. Why don't you stand to your feet? Len's going to come and lead us in a moment. Let me just pray for us. Jesus, we, we may have all sorts of questions. I have questions running around my head and my heart. But God, I want to say to you, Jesus, that I want to live a life in submission to you and your word. And we want to take what the Bible has to say to us seriously. We want to take your commission to us seriously. We, we recognize that you've, by the Holy Spirit at work, you've called each and every one of us to be here for a reason and for a purpose. We might not know what that is yet, but I've got a fairly good idea. You've called us here to build your church, to see your message proclaimed, to, to help bring about healing in a broken city. God, and, and each one of us, for those of us here who are Christians, we, each one of us can testify to a miracle that you've taken our dead souls and you've made them alive in Christ. That is the greatest miracle we'll ever know. <laughs> that we were dead, facing eternity apart from you, and you've broken into our life to save us. That's a miracle. God, and I want to see that same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead, that's made my life alive with you. I want to see that break out in our city and reach into our lives of lost souls. That's our prayer. And Jesus, we want to say more than anything else, we just want to magnify you, glorify you, our mighty Savior. Thank you, Jesus.